Hey, greetings traders. Thank you so much for joining me. It is Tuesday and time for macro to micro power hour. I'm Samantha LaDuke, founder of LaDukeTrading.com. And I am joined today by Jonathan Gibbons of VigTech.io. Here he is coming in now. So I wanted to just share, if you will, that this is a regular feature on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Every other Thursday, it's Women in Finance and Trading. And today it is most definitely market structure, especially focus on volatility. Next Thursday, there will be a little housekeeping out of the way first, um, a follow-up to SPAC attack. So it'll be SPAC attack two. Um, will this sentiment uh, explosion in SPACs change as rates are rising and rapidly. So we'll address that next, um, the 25th, Thursday at four o'clock. We'll be revisited by Craig, who was the investment manager who has traded these things since 2007, as well as George um, Kaufman of Shadden, who um, is the investment banker and behind S, uh, the Shack CHAQ SPAC, and has been uh, very actively involved in structuring these special purpose asset, um, asset corporations since 2003. So that'll be a very good follow up. Again, that is February 25th. It will be um, right after the close. In the meantime, we have this wonderful opportunity to talk with Jonathan of VigTech.io and myself about market structure. And I am very much wanting to get um, right into it because Jonathan, I'm feeling, where are you there? New share, we uh, stop share. I'm feeling anxious on the heels of this kind of paper tantrum going on in bond land. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, you know, I think there's some conflicting things going on. So I'm curious to, to hear what your, your perspective is on it. You know, you have to put some stuff together. Um, Overall, because I, I still am sitting on uh, the this time frame from the VIX expiration tomorrow, options expiration this week, and then into the the March options expiration as this window um, that there's a bunch of different things that could transpire during that window um, could go a couple different directions um, that are all market you know market moving implications. So um, you know, I, I think that uh, I'm curious, you know, your perspective on the different uh, kind because of, you've been talking about the VIX structure, the front end of the curve, and then also the bond stuff that's been going on, you know, today specifically um, and, yeah. uh, you know, the curve. So why don't you kind of give us those, those thoughts? Because I, I, I'm going to talk about something different, I think, because like my perspective at the moment is there's a couple big things hanging out there that make me wonder if this kind of lingers a little bit longer than than we think it might. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Per, per, you, know, you, you first, you go first. All right, well, first and foremost, um, when we talk about on the weekend, what we're gonna talk about on Tuesday, I presented this chart to you and said, I think we need to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, give it a little color here, if you will, because you had kind of nailed it, which was um, there's complacency in, in the, the front end of the curve and yet VVIX is popping up quite strongly, which is elevated um, volatility of VIX, indicating lots of puts are coming in actually for the unknown, whatever the unknown is. But first, let's let's start with this um, complicated uh, um, chart, which I thought would be at least kind of the precursor, set the stage for our conversation about VIX. We'll go from there about on bonds. Explain this one. 
So when you, when you when you're looking at term structure, this is saying that basically the six month is at the you know one of the most historical levels, um, and the spread between the, the the furthest out and the shortest duration. Like we track down to nine day in the app and kind of give, you know give that away for everybody to look at, so you can see the whole ter term term structure. And when there's such a discrepancy between the long term and the short term, there's something. You know, just, you know, something, something wrong. Um, you could add this to the pile of uh, there's something wrong <laughs> in, in, the, in, the, in the list that we have growing, um, but this is effectively giving you such, I mean, 91st percentile of historical values, right, is, is pretty, it's pretty significant. And then, you know, while 30-day VIX, VIX itself is a 30-day measurement. So the term structure consists of, you know, very short term, which could be, you know, somewhere in the nine to whatever, you know, is left on the expiration term timeframe for, so like this tomorrow, right, it's February. Then you've got March, 30 days out. That 30 days out is always VIX, 30, 60 days out, 93 days out. And there's a little bit of uh, back and forth on, on uh, different ideologies on using, you know, exactly 90 days for three months or 93 days and waiting of that stuff and stuff and so forth. And then you go to, the, you know, 120, 150, and 180 days. And typically you're gonna see a curve bottom left, top right of some, some structure, um, but it's not as steep as it is uh, you know, sitting here right now. And that's what I mean, the short end of the curve is very, very, um, basically very beyond complacent. And you see that in broad market volatility as well, like absolute breadth um, measures just broad market volatility. And it's completely complacent. And so, you know, and it would make sense, right? Because to an extent, no one believes there's anything ever going to go wrong uh, ever again, because everything could have possibly gone wrong, has gone wrong and didn't matter. So, so people are trading accordingly, um, but then you've got, you know, the, the back end of the curve at a different perspective. So these things, something's got to give, um, you know, and then one thing I would note while I'm just explaining the kind of the term structure is is that it'll flip on the front side. So if if you see the front end of the curve go up and the back end of the curve, you know, invert. So basically, they they swap places. That's typically when you're going to see some uh, some some volatility start to pick up. And then also your vehicles that everybody wants to utilize: VXX, UVXY, um, SVXY. These these vehicles all have a percentage weighting of the term structure. In the futures, and so you, you can see them like maybe be bifurcated from VIX itself, right? Or VVIX. So like VVIX is rising, and UVXY is like negative or flat, and, and that's a composition of the that ETN um, not necessarily being exactly those different vehicles. So you know if, if that was uh, useless for you, you can ignore it. But hopefully that <laughs> helped explain to some folks like uh, you know what are we talking about with term structure? I mean, really at the end of the day, that means you know measuring in really close proximity and how does the put call stuff stack in that kind of environment going out 30 days 60 all the way to 180 and that 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 curvature right that nature of that structure is really important to kind of utilize and you can utilize in a lot of different ways and so the the six month fix um sitting in 91st percentile of historical values is pretty pretty poignant and then you know while VIX is in the 62nd percentile and you, if you go to the app like our app and you look at like historical and you go to the, the volatility metrics it's like a free part of the app and you go to the bottom and or it's actually the middle section of the vol you can see the historical like uh you know over the last 10 years where is this usually ranging 
and you could see um, that like last year was pretty ab abnormal, obviously, right? But like, you know, um, this last six months to nine months was even less volatility than the last, even that 10 year period of, you know, 2010 to, to 20, 2020. It was significantly, there was literally no volatility, right? And so this is, now, now we're starting to see these structures change. And, and you know, Samantha and I, um, if you just joined us, we talked about this for the last probably about 60 days on and off, is that these legs of the stool that were kind of driving this market have started to fall off. And so one of the things that fell off was share buybacks. Then another one that fell off was tax, um, tax cuts, Trump, 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 Trump's uh, tax, it's still like a lot of things to say real quickly. Trump's tax cuts, you know, being reversed, uh, different things, you know, the, the, the blue wave kind of changing the way that's going to go another way. Right. So you're you've got the kind of the Robin Hood uh, crowd that that's kind of fizzled into options in the environment. It's not necessarily spiking. It's more it's more flattening out. So that leg that's driving this thing is started to flatten out. So now we're dead left with bonds and ball and dollars. Right. And and so you what's say, going you say dodge? No, I didn't say doji coins. I, okay. I said dollars. <laughs> I said okay, dollars. Dollars. Okay. <laughs> dollars. Sorry. But we still have Dogecoin, right? Because <laughs> and you've got that chart with Elon, because you know it's that, that's where I was going. Like there, there's okay. something to be said that we'll that, we'll get there, I'll touch on you, that in a minute. But you just said bonds, yes, and dollars. I think that's what's happening right now is the next leg of the stool, if you will. I don't know how many how many legs there are, but what I wanted to say was or highlight what, what say that that sentence again. The short so, end of the curve is more than complacent, right? Yeah, yeah beyond complacent. Yeah. Beyond complacent. And then I came across, you know, um, Bloomberg guy here, JP Morgan, gauge of investors cross asset complacency based on valuation, positioning, price momentum is nearing the highest level since the dot-com bubble burst mm -hmm. two decades ago. And it's yes. kind of funny how they are, you know, really in sync in some regards. So that was just... One when you uh, when we were talking about that um, VIX curve, if you will, yeah. and then this complacency that is proven also in asset allocation. Um, we have just got to talk about VIX because I'm getting into some levels in my stock bond volatility ratio that are starting to um, look like they're just about ready to tag. So yeah. that has been pretty helpful in the past as. Um, a tell for a regime change. In other words, this aura of volatility that we keep talking about coming into the market isn't going to be one and done. It was a few weeks ago, and that was a different type of tell. And I want to find that one because that was pure technical analysis. In other words, when we talked about that, it was January 20th, and I had warned that we were going to get a huge impulse of volatility. That was, let me just find that real quick based on really a technical read. It had nothing to do with my stock bond volatility ratio. And I just wanna show you that chart real quick as a reminder, because it's really good, but I have to find it. So hold on. One of, while, you're, while you're pulling it up, what I would Please. say too, like, uh, is that one thing that we've seen usually you're not like, you know, a lot of folks do technical analysis or charting, you know, different things that they use. And a lot of people say don't chart the, the volatility instruments, the ETNs and so forth. We have seen, take away the charting piece, 
as far as volume flows and money flows coming into those products has been steady for about two months now. And so almost, that's because yeah. of that one day wonder. So this yeah, was simply yeah. a technical read on January 20th. You know, I said to clients, you know, it's just, we're going to have, we're going to have a, a big impulse here of VIX and it wouldn't surprise, right? We're right into the apex. And sure enough, we had a 62% move in one day. And then they're like, glomming on to puts, which is why VVIX has stayed elevated. Um, but now talk about why it has come down so distinctly, which has been also the case, right? Where it is sold, maybe not to the extreme of, you know, the, the short sellers since Volmageddon, but in short, it has been sold. And now it's starting to fill that gap, the February gap I'm talking about before mm -hmm. we had the COVID um, uh, risk off event. It's starting to fill that gap about 18 and a half bucks. That would be awesome. awesome. Honestly, I would love to see it fill that gap because then it's filled and it can round mm -hmm. head higher. So the reason why I bring this up is not that chart is not technically um, poised for volatility, but typically that's a precursor to a regime change. Volatility yeah, is totally. coming into the market. There'll be an aura of volatility that just kind of comes in, whoosh, threatens your, you know, resolve, the bulls anyway, goes back in, oh, everything's fine, buy, buy the dip. But this to me is now forming, and again, this is a, a different metric that I use, um, a tag of my stock bond volatility ratio, which is gonna tag this week. So that tells me we're gonna have some volatility in the next week or two, even though everything still looks so rosy. And then today coming into the markets, and we have, a bond route, for lack of a better word, that looks very akin to like a, a, a taper tantrum. They're getting a little nervous here on the uh, the bond front. And one of the things I wanted to bring up was, um, yes, 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 hold on. How, how significant this is actually from a sell-off standpoint and tips, LQD, um, TLT, they are really elevated. Let me just bring this up here, share a little screen here. Okay. And as you know, as folks know, I have been bearish bonds and gold complex, if you will, precious metals for a while. And so this particular move down has not really surprised me, but today did. And I'm not easily shocked. <laughs> I raised three teenagers. So seriously, um, you know, I can, I can look at levels and I can say, yeah, I can see this is really a drop. So did LQD, you know, fall from its little safe safety zone well below the 200 day. Um, forget about, you know, the tips. That was a solid break lower. And with it, gold is absolutely not opening up strongly on a Tuesday. That's actually opening up very weakly. So that whole complex to me is still at risk of um, further weakness, but the TLT in particular has some levels on the weekly. Let me show you, if I can bring this up here. I had posted this, you know, to be watched, right? Which is, um, this is a TLT on a weekly. This is a stochastic indicator for those who still, we, we can do the macro, we can do the market structure. Um, and the intermarket, but this is just pure technical read. I have never seen this stochastics level hit a 0.26. That's very low. Like 
on a weekly. I've just never, I've never seen it hit that low. So there's something in the structure here of this bond sell-off that should scare the Fed. <laughs> I just think this is, and then I, I look at the amount of puts that are coming in. Did I actually share that screen? No, let me do that. Um, you know, this is very much a situation, sorry, I thought I had that shared, where uh, the oscillator is extremely oversold. When that happens, there's also more, let's say, weight of evidence that we might have a very sharp TLT bounce from this level, and then can, it can continue down. But my point is, there might be some more volatility that comes in even sooner than what I was projecting, which was the next week or two. Um, so this TLT very well could be this um, outlier, if you will, that reverts, which would be kind of surprising because right now, you know, we've talked about this, there isn't a lot of selling under the surface. Even my indicators on a swing, you know, a, an intraday timeframe are showing buying. So intraday and, and overnight is still showing accumulation. But this bond move looks a little bit different. And so then I wanted to kind of talk about the background of what's going on. And also, if you notice the option flow, the um, HYG puts that are coming in, yep. really wow. large. Yeah. I mean, and yep. I know that's a surrogate for the SPY, um, but it's like with a 20 IV, um, you know, for April. And it's literally the put spread came in earlier. It's, it grew over the day. Um, the 83 by 86 put spread for HYG in April, that's like spend 30 cents to make $3 kind of trade. Mm -hmm. And the TBT calls continue to come in. They're just hammering the TBT calls. So th th the whole bond auction, uh, action to me was a little bit stronger. Like I'm, you know, I understand there's a, there's a fade, there's a, there's, there's a stronger push. And then there's at some point a collapse, but this to me, I think was in reaction to what was um, printed in Bloomberg this morning by Yellen needing to move reserves back to the Fed and how will the market handle that? And what will the Fed do in that regard? So I wanna show you that article as well, but can you shed any light on your um, market structure that you've seen in bonds while I grab those articles? Well, I mean, TLT has been like the problem. I mean, TLT has been a problem for a little bit. And then you've got HYG and that whole senior loan space. Do you have BKLN? Yeah, in there? that one too. Yeah. Is it the same? I haven't seen it today. No, not, not, not like tips or LQD. Not anyone. Okay. Else. All right. So like the, the senior loans are always a major concern. The, um, High yield grade environment is, is obviously that was the thing that they came out and bought, right, outright um, and monetized through BlackRock back in April and have never stopped since. So to see this to have a problem, you, you, it, there's either two things to, in my mind, like we are, we are so extended in every way, shape or form in this market um, that it can, in the bonds are significantly bifurcating from the actual you know price action itself and there's a bunch of charts out there i'm not gonna you know pop one up that would 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 show that but effectively it's is, is it more like the the taper tantrum in 18 at the end of 18 right where it was october november december or is it the precursor to something different in 
you know, the March timeframe. I, I have a problem with the, like being more than a kind of flash in the pan because you have, you know, the, the March expiration with a bunch of incentives um, that play with that. Uh, and, and the market can continue to kind of float because we're seeing that, that total different market structure perspective from the equities and then the, the bonds. So are bonds gonna like level off here or is this something that is an overreaction? potentially today where people are repositioning based on the overreaction. I kind of always use the senior junk as a, as a leading indicator of um, like a, a significant concern. That's just my color on it um, rather than necessarily uh, HYG itself and LQD. But that's like the, those two being to me at this point, like the fed outright purchasing them um, they have a, I'll look at my price here in a second on the, on the chart, but there's a level on HYG. It's like, if it's above a certain level, it just doesn't really even like coming back a little bit. It won't, it doesn't necessarily matter too much um, from a price structure perspective, from a market structure perspective. But the, but the, the, the thing that would probably be the kind of determining factor here is, is this going to necessarily be something that happens instantaneously or is this something that leads to kind of more weakness, maybe starting in April? And this was will prove to have been a um, basically a, a, a what do you call it? a flare, right? That there was going to be a significant problem here shortly. Um, so you could be some repositioning based around that, where people are getting ready for a more significant problem. I can see that totally, right? Like well, uh, I can see yields that are getting totally. getting away from the Fed. So I mean, okay. this is really going to be tough for them to control the the long end and it's going higher and the rate of change is extremely strong. So that's one thing that I do in my intermarket and I've shared with clients that this rate of change in the yield pop that has been, you know, going on here for a few months is picking up speed. I mean, where it opened today was above monthly support. So just from a, a, a yield curve steepening and the yield pop strength, it is still in play. But one thing I wanted to mention was, do I have this uh, shared? Yes. Yellen, this morning, shift on vast treasury cash pile poses problem for Powell. And move pushes down money market rates may make them go to negative. It was interesting. In this article, um, which is why you know I was looking at this, I tweeted about this actually this morning, and then bonds just really continued to press lower. And it was impressive because they're immediately reacting. <laughs> Zoltan um, of Credit Suisse fame, for those who uh, to know this analyst, says treasury transfer will unleash a tsunami of reserves into the financial system and onto the Fed's balance sheet. So this is from this article where he's quoted. So the, the translation, at least, you know, of, of market plays, how will uh, the bond market react to this uh, tsunami of reserves being transferred back over onto the Fed's balance sheet. Well, one way is the money market will likely go to negative. Okay, so they talk about this in the, ar in the article. And I had tweeted about that because, where is it? It's on here somewhere. Um, because to me, that looked like so 1999. So what do I mean by that? Uh, this uh, Fed funds rate right now, and talked about this with uh, Jared Dillian last week on Thursday, and I mentioned, you know, Fed funds rate has like a 5% chance of rising this year. And he said, nah, it's zero. <laughs> just, it's, it's not a thing. I said, what about the discount rate? So the discount rate in regards to um, this money market rate going to zero, one way that they could counteract that is to raise the Fed discount rate. 
So when did that last happen in, in regards to, um, I shouldn't say, before I get to when did that last happen, raising the Fed discount rate is, is one way for that overnight lending um, that will kind of force folks more into, for banks, into dollars, which would also give us kind of that bullish thesis or tailwind, I should say, um, for dollars rising. But what's happening right now to me is just a warning shot. It doesn't mean anything right now, but the last time we got into one of these very exuberant market in, you know, backdrops, right? Which was 1999, tech bubble yeah. 1.0. Yeah. This still continued from the November FOMC right up until April. It was March, actually, it was the last Fed discount rate increase from November to March, where the market still continued higher a goodly amount, and then it didn't. So yeah. that's the closest parallel or analog that I could find when I was looking at, you know, the, the examples of, okay, I just read that this morning before I opened my trading room. Okay, I can see where this is, you know, potentially problematic in regards to um, how they're going to deal with this liquidity, you know, hose. Um, money market's going negative. They're not going to want that. How are they going to prevent that from happening? So anyway, this is, I'd love to hear some bond traders with, you know, real experience in trading this environment. I'm looking for a narrative basically that is, you know, trying to connect some, uh, basically some um, macro narrative with my intermarket stuff, which says my stock bond volatility ratio is about to trigger and it can be very explosive when it does, and not just for a trade, but like mm -hmm. February, March kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it you, stays triggered, and it stays triggered, and it stays triggered, not just for one day wonder. So I can't help but you know still look at this you know particular chart and go, okay, maybe history doesn't repeat, but it sure as heck looks like it's rhyming. Well. That that's actually, I was hoping you would have that one because you could see what's the what's the oh, market oh, oh, oh. drop from the top uh, in, what is it, November, right? Like, uh, it's the other one. You got to share the other one. We see the, we see the, um, the Tesla chart right now. What? Yep. There you go. Okay. So the 4,800 to 2,900, is that right? Is that about the, yep. the first 40, move? Yeah, 4,816. Mm-hmm. First initial move was what fifty percent drop, right? Oh, Something you're talking like about that. from here to here, absolutely. Nah, the, the the drop, the drop, the first okay. drop. Okay, but so it is worth drop. noting that this is about twenty five hundred and it runs to forty eight hundred. No, hundred percent. So, like, we're you know, and that and that's where I was going with it. Is it like a flare, or is it like you know, this is happening? You know, instant. This can happen any moment now. So, I I'm. Like when I when I sit there and look at like kind of the, the all the moving parts of the market at the moment, right? With the with the options expiration this week, then you got the major implications of the one in March, and then the implications across crypto as it relates to Tesla, as it relates to Bitcoin, as it relates to ARC, right? Mm -hmm. Those kind of too big to drag the market around funds and and uh, those those ETFs plus. The Tesla plus the Bitcoin, they're all kind of a macro kind of simultaneous trade together at the moment, and they benefit significantly at that March expiration for different reasons. And so does this happen here? And then we do we continue to see, you know, uh, a volatility kind of 
you know, boiling to an extent, would this continue to get worse? Or do you think that it breaks this type of bond bifurcation breaks before any of that? And does it even matter? That's kind of the big question I have between here, the next 30 days, because I do think that that analog from the, the NASDAQ in 1999 is in play. I, I definitely think it's in play because we're, we're left with like totally just uh, a mania environment at the moment where it's just by the the greater greater price that's that's all that's happening at this point and, and the equities being driven up mechanically by options trading and so you know we're way past anything structural that would hold this thing together once that does trigger so you're you're 100 right and to go all the way back to that that it could be very very like you know not just one drop but like simultaneous drops and, and get into a doom loop but like i go back to what i was saying a minute ago about that kind of charting volatility uh, just to clarify what I was saying, because I think it matters here, is that because it, it's part of this whole narrative is that not necessarily like the folks that like want to like actually count or stuff like that, like the VIX complex kind of gets a little complicated. Gap fills, market structure, et cetera. Perfect. They work every they work every single time. What we've seen and have vetted out with a couple other different um, different, you know, kind of information sources and so forth is, is are we really seeing such a kind of a, an inflow of capital into these, you know, proxy ETNs um, that we're seeing in the last 60 days. And no matter when it spikes or when it drops, the it's money flow and velocity flow has been into these things. So what is that? What did, what for? Why? And I, I wonder, right. You know, it's starting to, and that goes into the first conversation we had, what are people beginning to, to, to think risk is looking like in the medium term uh, overall. And I think that, you know, that's to be, to be taken into account here, especially with the, with the bond narrative that's sitting there is that vol is like set the technical pieces aside, even like me from the, like a market structure side just flows in. Right. And people are sitting there and starting to get to, to look at that. Now you're seeing bond flows and puts, right. These types of things on HYG come into play. You're starting to see the actual action coming to the table is looking like you know a little bit more it's getting a little heavier by the day but yet at the same time we still have this march expiration sitting out there so it's almost like a uh you know do you think it's and, a short and, spike and then you get back one more high again i i don't know but i, I definitely Tesla think covert uh, also come due so we'll talk about that but i think there's real um reason while these yields are you know moving higher this is kind of a thesis that we've also talked about and I've written about for months, which is, um, you know, this theme of things over paper, right? So mm, yeah, totally. once, once yeah, we got totally. the reflation trade really moving last summer and then the Biden bid and then the Pfizer announcement, then the Georgia blue wave, right? And then, you know, constant stimulus. Um, but the point is this whole value, okay, and now the Texas deep freeze, or I should say 14 states with, you know, electrical blackouts rolling and the grid going down, you know, boosting oil and again, um, you know, related plays. It really is actually historical for things to go higher over paper when you're talking, you know, long-term correlation between inflation, the expectations and various, you know, financial real assets. So I grabbed this um, chart from Soberlook, real assets, commodities, platinum became really strong buys. And I have to show this because I love this. Meaning this is since the 1950s. These are the asset classes that have done really well in periods of inflation. 
So this, this, the inflation expectations and, you know, there's this debate constantly, inflation, stagflation, you know, the, the point is, this has been the rule book. We see yields moving higher. We see commodities over stocks. It's my theme anyway for 2021, but we definitely see commodities, platinum, oil, et cetera, real estate, you know, hot fire flames in all kinds of places. Gold has not caught a bit, a bid by any stretch. But the point is, this is, uh, you know, also helping to support this move, I would think, in the value rotation, which may just be starting, <laughs> honestly. And then uh, the other thing is, when it comes to earnings, you know, very much what is real um, and, and what's perception. I grabbed this chart uh, by Charlie Bilio, um, Bilalo, sorry. And you know, showing that S and P has reported for Gap anyway for SPX, the EPS growth is a negative nineteen percent. Nobody seems to care. We've talked about this before. They're pulling forward, right? All the expectations. Yep. So, but the reality, and I have then taken this and said, okay, this is a great chart. Eighty-two percent of companies reported um, the S and P Gap earnings are down nineteen percent year over year. This is my, you know, intermarket thing that I do, which is basically moving average and then trying to time for trend trading on a monthly time frame when it's really safe, in other words, to stay long or when there's an inflection point to go short. And this has been a fabulous way to tell market big picture long and short for trend trading time frames. And you can see here, we're way to heck down. This is current, by the way, you can't see it, but it's the 12th of February. And SPX is way the heck up here. So what do you think owes to this huge divergence? This is GAP and this is SPX. What do you think owes to that divergence? <laughs> four, four letters, you ready? Tesla, this is inflation, ex sorry. This is uh, EPS growth ex expectations that have been pulled forward. Check this out, 2000 highs, right? How much of that is Tesla? All of it. Not surprised. Isn't that just like, wow? So our market right now is being held up by this pull forward EPS growth in, in Tesla. I, I, there, there, there is a, a, this is fascinating to see, <laughs> right? Because like I, I'm. And remember consumer discretionary is 17.5% Tesla. So it's, it's the same difference, right? So I'm just, I put these side by side, like I got these charts and I put them side by side and I should have, anyway, that's impressive. Um, that's scary. It just basically means that we're really kind of dependent on Tesla and maybe the folks know that that might not be the best bet. <laughs> well, yeah. that and like, he's buying like, you know, he's buying Dogecoin and Bitcoin and, and it's He's you know, tweeting about it every day at nine, between seven and nine a.m. There is a, a a guaranteed tweet from him. Are you crypto? I'm not making that up. You can go back and check it out. Um, it's not it, almost like every day. We can't count the weekend, but uh, you know, it's you, you, it's, you, you it's, nailed uh, it. Literally, I literally tweeted this earlier, going, "Okay, so Tesla. Now we have to have eyes on Tesla since this matters so much, right? Yeah. We're going to talk about the bonds again and volatility again, but." This really matters so much now. 
this is from Brent um, at Spot Gamma, and we've talked mm -hmm. about this in the past. It's a great chart. That great chart. Yeah. yeah, he posted back in, um, I'm sure it was December, but I don't, do I have a timestamp on here? We can assume it was, ah, December 10th. There it is. Okay. So large amount of in the money call options expire. And then uh, Elon's, you know, uh, covert mature. This is really where I think we'll get a little bit more of that selling that can possibly come in. In the meantime, what does Tesla stock look like? Just one big sideways, just mm. literally from the first of the year, it has just gone sideways. This is week eight. Um, very impressive, but not really, right? So there's just nothing going on with Tesla, Tesla as it relates to price. And you're hysterical that you just said that little bit about um, he's buying um, Dogecoin because literally back on this, when he charted, when, when he sent this chart out and I grabbed it and I've been holding on to it and of course tracking sales against it, like Valley Gifford is down to 5% share of Tesla from 12%. And I'm sure that they sold because they had big gains, but I wonder if any of that was because they put you know Bitcoin on their balance sheet, right? So, but the point is, he, he had a, absolutely hysterical. He said he they're selling calls. Brent said of uh, Spot Gamma, they're selling calls to buy, buy Doji Coin. I think he, I, I think he, he said that as a joke. I think it's actually true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard, and, and then he's got a short on, um, on, uh, you know, uh, Virgin Virgin Galactic. So SPC, so he's taken out a short position against his competitor. It's also word on the street. So I, I, I think my, my two cents on this is that I mentioned this last week in conjunction with this, also seeing some discussions just in, internally, you know, amongst ourselves, our team, um, and, and people can take this for what it's worth because it's, there's no, you know, deep, uh, deep research you know, presentation behind it. So just take, take it for what's worth. So you've got him talking to Sailor from MSTR, right? From MicroStrategy in December. And, you know, real corporations should put Bitcoin on their balance sheet, right? And he says, well, how would I get such a large purchase? And then they said, take it offline, call me. So he takes it offline, you know, and then it proves out that he bought Bitcoin in December. And then you time that out with his, you know, he would have made on the gains, they're going to be profitable this quarter based on just the Bitcoin trade alone that was placed in December and where it sits now. So his earnings are now made based on that. And then he's pumping every morning since December, right? Starting January on, he's pumped Bitcoin. And admit, you know, there's been a few people say this. I, I simply don't understand how this isn't securities fraud, but, you know, uh, neither here nor there. So, so you look at that in correlation to the date of those expirations and you look at BTC and the tether prints and the moves in BTC and you look at him and the pump with Doji and you look at Tesla being an out proxy for BTC and BCC being a proxy for Tesla, they're kind of moving in conjunction and all this narrative that's he's then pandering to the option buying crowd, right? With all of his targeted memes and the meme stonks and all that stuff. And there's tons of research that Lily's done on all that. And so, you know, would you kind of compile these together when you look at micro strategy, you look at that and you look at ARC, they all kind of benefit. And then, and then there's been some unloading of the shares in the last, uh, you know, couple of weeks. So, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm not, 
it's, it's just, it is what it is, right? Like, I mean, it is either nothing or it's everything. And the big thing is kind of sitting in the middle of this is the Southern District of uh, New York's attorneys general's ruling about uh, Tether, which is supposed to come out any day, I guess, uh, whether that's going to be a shutdown and seize situation or that's going to fly. So this could go the other way. Um, where nothing transpires, this uh, kind of uh, culminates to innocuous state, and we all just kind of go about our business, or there could be more to this. Now, the timing of all this seems to be very interesting, because we're really, you know, kind of moving on the meme stocks back and forth at this point. Um, and that's one of the last final legs of this whole thing. Plus, now you've got the bond app analog, plus you got the volatility flows. And, and so we're sitting here, it's like almost like, you know, it's under the surface, this thing's still sitting out there and it's one of the primary conversations. So I just, you know, I don't want to judge anything like uh, on, on, on the long-term efficacy of Bitcoin or anything like that. So don't, nobody get like kind of going down the wrong path with what I'm saying here. I'm just talking about this particular case where they are all intercorrelated at the moment. And it's, it's highly interesting as it relates to his payouts and that March expiration. And that is not him you know, buying shares of the company, like, you know, being paid, that's him being paid, right? Like cash, right? And that incentive alignment uh, across all things as it relates to politics, as it relates to businesses, as it relates to anything, incentive alignment is one of the biggest things to look at in anything as it relates to a trade, as it relates to where you think things are going. Charlie Munger said, show me the incentives and the incentive structure, and I'll show you where the business is going. Well, and, Kathy Wood no. might have something to say about this, but we won't know until the next installment. But it's kind of interesting because I had listened to, because um, I wanted to see where she would go on here with her um, with her market call in regards to Tesla being, you know, very sideways for the past few months, literally, I should say two months. But Kathy Wood here has uh, an investment uh, interview with uh, Yahoo Finance, and it was just recently, in fact, a few weeks ago, and she said, we're not an equity bubble, but a bond bubble. And she's proving that out by basically referencing fixed income flows, et cetera, et cetera. But in this in interview, which I thought was really interesting, she's saying value investing investing's not safe. It, you know, we have disruptive innovation for the next five to 10 years, millennial fueled short squeezes help bail bond buyers out. All of that stuff was very interesting. But one thing that she did say in that that I didn't highlight was she didn't agree with MSTR, MicroStrategy, putting Bitcoin on their, on their balance sheet. And that came in right before Musk announced that they had bought Bitcoin to the tune of what, 1.5 billion? 1.5 billion, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just curious as a sentiment read, does that mean she will sell? I haven't heard anything since that was, I just posted that last week. So haven't she's in that. A, yeah, she's in a tough spot. She's so huge now. Um, and everything they disclose, everything they, they've gotten in the habitual nature of disclosing all trades. So she's like kind of trapped. Yeah, she's right? definitely and, trapped. And, and mm -hmm. create, yeah, trapped by her own success um, to offload the, so, and, and a lot of folks have talked about this in a lot more depth than I, you know, can go into right here, but, um, basically once you get that big and you're practicing that way, you set yourself at risk. If there's any type of change in, in flow stream on you or change in the stream of the market on your strategy, you're, you're very, very stuck. And, um, you, you, you have, your liquidation can become very rapid. So I, I think, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd be very curious to see what she does with that. Um, mm -hmm. She's she's in a lot of different stuff. I I I think she's done a great job. Like a lot of the 
a lot of the um, things that they invest in are all, um, you know, they do a lot of, they had historically done a lot of research. I'm, I haven't followed them much lately, but it's all in any kind of pioneering stuff. So the whole strategy makes sense. I agree with their strategy theoretically in a perfect world, but you know, you're, you're what's, I don't think we're entering a perfect world at this point. Like you, you, there's some significant implications to that kind of strategy is with when you have a, a potential move in monetary policy that's forced. And that's, I think, what you're alluding to with bonds and everything else is that, you know, and, and it really is a genuine thesis that you do all this and you think that there's no ramifications and you can continue to do whatever you want to do into perpetuity as it relates to interest rates and as it relates to um, yield curves and everything else. But realistically, market sets it or you set it. So I, I, I think that the, uh, what do you call it, the unintended consequences are where we're kind of starting to tread right? We're, we're treading into unintended consequences with inflation. Inflation is definitely rising its head. If you don't believe that, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you, real estate, oil, um, all the hard stuff is Hi. really starting to pick this up is, hot. This is, this is a fun theme if you're, um, you know, things over paper, but yep. it is also at threat of any time the Fed coming in and, you know, whack-a-mole getting those rates down, but they haven't. Well, I mean, you think about, what's been, <laughs> think about what, well, they're in a rock and a hard place. Go back yes. to Chris Cole's comment, right? You've got the pensions, right? And you've got the, the corporate debt. And both of them are on different sides of that situation. I, I mean, there's a lot of, of oh. uh, you know, there's a lot of, what do you call it? Like um, uh, uh, people at the table with different, different objectives now with a Fed that's fairly trapped. You got like a Kathy Wood that has a different objective than the pensions have a different objective than the corporate debt. I mean, these are all different objectives that all are directly correlated to interest rates, directly correlated to the yield curve. Bonds in general, at the same same table, different seat. This this gets now now who you know can you sacrifice anybody? Now what was like you know I can pull on different levers, right? And they're always historically back to twenty. Um, 20 early prior to 2020 and Ben Malcolm was the one that really kind of woke me up to this was, you know, every time you have the fiscal lever pulled, right. Or pushed, I should say that the monetary lever was pulled. And every time you had the monetary lever pushed then the fiscal lever was pulled and they kind of offset those historically, you know, it was never the both at the same time. And you can see the both at the same time last April. And since then, and since our moves, right. And the equities and everything, you know, you've said this 15 times, you know, everything's up 80 to 100%. And so, you know, we've got both of those pushed forward. So now are we entering kind of like crossing, we've crossed over a chasm. We're on the other side of this. That's like a jungle. We're not really sure of any of the kind of consequences of anything that's been done because it was all done as Ken Griffin said in that interview that I shared, mm -hmm. it was done so quickly and without real-time data sets in haste. And once those things are put into motion, you can't pull them back and they create all kinds of unintended consequences. And I think that that is correct statement. And that could be potentially what you're, what we're looking at here, why they're not necessarily going to be exactly like this time period before or that time period before, because you've got a bunch of different stakeholders. But at they the table. work a lot faster. Right. Muscle memory is just, and uh, the gamification of the retail traders, which we do have 100%. to address by the way, because one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about volatility was this uh, misnomer here that retail can actually move the VIX. And you and I yeah, both- no chance. Yeah, exactly. They're like, they're not buying futures uh, VIX two months out. They're just, they're not playing. They don't know how to play. It's not really an issue. These other bond 
you know, crash issue. <laughs> the yeah. silver hoarding may be an issue. Um, you know, just yeah. the volatile. Now I want to talk about the silver because actually I read a really interesting article that stimulated an aha moment. And that's kind of how I work, right? I'm like looking for data points to connect. And, you know, one of them recently was, look what's happening to the 10-year swaps. They're crashing. Bonds mm. then start to really fall, fall faster. And they have been slowly falling, but they're picking up speed and with LQD and, and tips and such. And it's not a, it's not a, re, it's, it, it's not um, reversion of the reflation trade. Inflation, the yields are still strong with all the expectations, not just oil, you know, which is helping it all, but palladium, platinum, uranium, you know, uh, oh my gosh, you, you strip out oil and you still have a whole bunch of underlying commodities that are just way higher. You know, farmers are having a tough time because the ags and, and the grains, um, copper is more expensive, et cetera, et cetera. But the interesting thing to me was that silver, um, uh, I wanted to comment on that article actually, because I thought it was uh, for, I don't want to call it old timers, but it was one of those articles where I thought, oh, I didn't think about that. Um, did I, in, did I interrupt a question you were going to ask, by the way? No, no go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. It was basically agree or disagree. Um, this, this article on silver, uh, that I can reference was basically, uh, talking about how it serves as base. Well, first of all, we see silver, um, physical, extremely elevated in pricing. So the premium is very, very high. Inventory is very, very low. And that's basically all there is to say about that. Supply and demand of the silver physical is definitely uh, whacked compared to the paper market. Paper market is very subdued. It hasn't really fallen apart. Gold looks much weaker. Miners, GDX look much weaker. We've talked about this for a while. Uh, yeah, totally. Silver's kind of correcting in time, not price. Right. And I think it's getting, you know, supported in some regard because the silver physical is, is so strong. But the article basically goes, uh, talks about, talks a little bit about the difference between the physical and, and paper silver. Um, potential trigger for higher U.S. dollar. That was, and, and rates with it. And here's why. Uh, I'm, I'm quoting a little bit. Silver run is similar to a bank run. Bank runs tend to feed on themselves. Monetary demand for silver is essentially a run on the dollar, which is itself primarily a monetary reserve. The way you stop a run on the dollar is you raise interest rates on the dollar. But what if doing that is impossible because the level of debt in the economy is so enormous that raising interest rates would collapse the economy and the stock market? So if you can't raise interest rates, the only way to stop a dollar run and fight and flight into precious metals as a monetary reserve is to push the paper price of silver down by shorting silver futures. We see that. Banks have a vested interest in doing this because if the dollar falls too fast, the value of the bonds on their balance sheet plummet, causing a systemic banking crisis. If silver stops rising in dollar terms, though on the paper markets, the demand for it as a monetary reserve tends to eventually ebb, kind of stabilizing the dollar that way. So pushing the price of silver down by shorting futures has other consequences, which is what's happening right now, right? The physical is really hot, but they're shorting, keeping that silver paper really, really low and that it prolongs physical shortages, forcing backwardation in the silver market. And this is where we're at right now. So, yeah. yeah, so that was kind of a nice summation of what the heck is happening with silver, physical versus paper. And, um, you know, the point was, more in the article, this is where we come into 
a support, if you will, or tailwind for higher dollar and rates. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, there's there's a lot of uh, the, there's a lot of um, of uh, kind of cross correlated uh, components to that kind of summary right there, right? Like you're talking about the bonds, you're talking about the dollar, you're talking about the shorts on the silver, mm-hmm. you're talking about the physical market. Um, you know, EV being pretty popular this last year um, mm-hmm. definitely has had some implications on the on the tangible side, right? Because silver is used. Um, as, as, as opposed to gold, gold's primarily precious in nature and silver is actually uh, an industrial use, especially in the EV space. So I do think that that can play into it. I didn't hear that kind of touched on as little, a little bit in that, but I think I would add that to, to that statement. Yeah. I think that, I think that um, like physical stuff, um, I would have put it, like the silver thing is like, a, it's an older conversation because uh, it goes all the way back to Lehman and then it goes into, you know, JP inherited layman's position and so forth. And there's kind of a, there's a, like a, a ton of research as it relates to, to that particular position and then the shorts in the market. That's like a, it, that's like kind of like a, the SPX conversation about short. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow the VIX out, you know, kind of buying calls and so forth like that. It, that's the large, one of the largest markets, if not the largest market in the world. And silver is, is, is massive. Uh, in, in the futures market as well. So I don't know that people can move these things around at all like that. Like the, the thing that I would say, um, I'm trying to make some sense of what I'm thinking because a lot of different thoughts running around in my head at the moment when you start talking about, about silver that relates to money is the dollar is kind of sitting there in the middle of that ring of the four you know, stakeholders and mm-hmm. then interest rising interest rates. And then silver's kind of sitting at that table too. And so is gold and so is Bitcoin. And everybody's waiting to see what the move is of those interest rates that's forced. And I would think of the room kind of shrinking in on the Fed in the sense that the the move, they can kind of, I can kind of move around that room a little bit more freely um, as, as time has, uh, you know, gone over the years, the room just keeps shrinking, keeps shrinking, keeps shrinking. And when they raise rates or make a move, then there's like a cross cross impact. And that's kind of what the summation of that uh, article kind of just, or the little phrase right there is breaking down the paragraph is that what, and now we're into, we're into the unintended consequences. If I have to do this and that's the, the lesser evil, then the impact on that on the other side, I just let that be and let it ride. Well, you know, theoretically they've been able to keep kind of all that, like uh, what do they call it? Um, and, and, and farming like corralled, mm-hmm. right like all those things have been corralled, but I don't think that you're going to be able to see things be corralled anymore in the way that they were. And this could be directly impactful to silver. It could be directly impactful to um, Bitcoin. It could be directly impactful to bonds. It could be directly impactful to pensions. They got to pick because somebody's not going to make it out of this, this room alive, (laughs) so to speak. You know, and that's what I would say is we're, we're kind of at the point where, where, where the, the table is, is everybody's sitting at the table. Somebody's going to, somebody's going to get licked pretty good because, you know, I was talking to, I mentioned this last week, my, my, one of my good friends, um, last 15 years is, uh, is in Valdosta, Georgia. They run a huge lumber, lumber organization, huge, huge organization in, in that part of, of, the, of the Southeast. And they, I mean, they're, they're months out like delays on major construction projects yeah. for, for framing. Yeah. 
and, and, and lumber. And like these, these things, like, you know, this is like serious. This isn't like short term. These are, these are now starting. We talked about this. I did. I actually did an institutional report last summer about wood lumber and supply inelasticity and suggested, you know, the, the, the long, the short, the long again, because this is a really big problem. What happened in British Columbia, kind of the perfect storm with a beetle infestation, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is, this is, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's a wider area. They might, the lumber, the commodity, if you will, palladium, um, it, it, that doesn't have as anywhere near as supply and elastic uh, resources as lumber and the yeah. mills, yeah, that are going to get the bid for sure because the few that and, can are just And that hot, table hot is shrinking and the yeah. interest rates, I think that some, kind of sums up the whole conversation is like VIX is sitting here and Vol is sitting here going, staring right at the, 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 the hand, right? Show me what you're going to do. Bonds are staring right at it. Commodities equities, are showing us inflation is moving. <laughs> yeah, commodities are there and equities are drunk as a skunk, right? And yep. they're you know, totally obliterated. They're, they're the obnoxious one at the table. And then you've got Bitcoin and then you've got, you know, some of this other stuff. That everybody's sitting there, pensions, corporate debt, so and let's talk about Bitcoin a little bit, you know? because this is a question, actually, Martin asks, you know, regarding inflation, what, you know, what is your call on gold generally? And is Bitcoin acting as a proxy and everything, everyone ignoring gold? Because that's, you know, basically, um, <laughs> the, uh, we've, we talked about this, the old gods and the new gods. I, I, yeah, I have, yeah, I have yeah. treated Bitcoin as a commodity. You know that. Yes, we've talked yeah. about Ethereum as, you know, more of a longer term Totally. It's a, it's a protocol. Yeah. Infrastructure yeah. play, for lack of a better term. Completely. And Bitcoin as a commodity play. So Bitcoin has ru- has has rolled, um, you know, the no question higher. And it was a beautiful technical setup, not once, but twice, because it formed a wedge recently. Mm-hmm. Um, what I don't, what doesn't sit necessarily so, uh, so well in my tummy is you know adding so much of it to the balance sheet, right? So even MSTR, which um, a client recommended strongly and has just doubled and doubled and doubled again and probably doubled again, and yet those are unsecured loans that they're getting to buy another six hundred million worth of Bitcoin for the balance sheet today. Bonds, so, yeah, the bond issuance this morning. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it, it, it's it, it's um, insecure. The the the, the nature of that, that feverish pitch, they can get it. <laughs> so it's free money. I think Bitcoin itself, um, if you if you step back, like a lot of the, you know, and I'm pretty busy. I got a lot of different stuff going on all the time. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm the expert of, of everything. I know the stuff that I'm working on and I, you know, kind of read up on stuff that I'm not necessarily working on. I don't have a position in Bitcoin right now. I've traded Bitcoin um, back and forth, you know, last couple of years. So it's always been a trade to me because it's hard to kind of wrap my head around the the, the dynamics of holding it and you know the storage and, and so forth. And I actually even passed about talking about it one time because I just don't know enough about the storage. My 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 thought about it is lately I've really felt like it was the the narrative running on Bitcoin in the last two three months is reminds me a lot of the narrative in 2010, 29, 2009, 2010, 2011 gold, which is the, you know, the dollar is going to go to zero. This is protecting your, your purchasing power. 
Um, it's, you know, a, a leveling up of the playing field. I mean, we're all hearing the same thing. Mm-hmm. It just, that's not like, you know, that, that reminds me of a speculative type. Of, um, <laughs> it, it, it's that, five, I'm telling you. Her, yeah, her, it's her like stomach, clockwork, right? It's like clockwork, five o'clock. She's like, feed me. Oh my God. Yeah. So like that Bitcoin is, is the, has been getting a lot of that kind of conversation. And then it's attracted a lot of the me against them dollar purchasing power, especially in the free to trade echo chamber apps, like we've talked about extensively, yep. you know, Robinhood has Robinhood crypto and you can buy just a fraction of it, Gemini, you name it. So like the crypto is, is something I think is definitely going to be continued to be sorted through in the long term. I don't think it's necessarily good or bad or anything like it. It's just like gold, it's just like anything else. But like at this point in time, it's being very much bid in a kind of a, a narrative environment that I'm not necessarily sure um, has a lot of footing, right? Other than kind of continue to buy the buy the buy, and and there's like you know the whole stock to flow model um, that it's a finite supply. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of different stuff out there about it as it relates to like real valuation. But when you look at kind of how and when that I, I I gotta see the tether thing shake shake the tree okay. and the ruling yeah, I, on that. Yeah, like, I really not, gotta see that. I'm definitely not up to speed on tether at all. And I just consider myself, you know, a solid generalist, not an not a specialist, but I am definitely what we have looked into tether and the reason why is because uh, when we started seeing the uh, kind of the, the aggregation is related to Musk, Musk relating to his tweets, yes. micro strategy related to that, micro strategy is actually directly correlated with your analog of 1999. He is exactly doing the same thing he did in 1999. You can go look mm-hmm. at his price chart as it relates to 1999, the one she yeah. showed and where it's sitting right now today and the same price action. There's actually a list of players that are in the same thing, um, same set of players that have been tracking since back then. Now, so like, I, there's a lot of stuff in there that to me has to, that we got to shake the tree. And it's just like, you know, this, you know, the gold thing had a lot of conversations, gold manipulation, you know, the, you know, people have been, you know, going back and forth on that for a long time too. And, and then that started right back then. So I think that you, you, my, my Bitcoin conversation is, I think right now it's directly correlated to liquidity, directly correlated to Tesla, directly correlated to Kathy Wood and directly correlated to the way that they're coming out and creating a kind of machine to create, to, to propagate the purchasing of that and you have to go back to that incentive alignment. Once this passes, once March passes, once we see what the Southern District of New York Attorney General does, once you see you know, what happens with the Tesla warrants and, and the calls, then you have a better perspective of, of the long-term kind of perspective of Bitcoin. And, my, and, that, and, and that's being completely transparent to, to, to you guys about answering that question. I don't, I don't think there's anything you know, inherently wrong about having a digital asset that's transferable, transmutable, and, and that having that kind of protocol. I just don't, you know, people talking about it replacing the dollar, that's not very really sensible because the no, dollar is the way everything is monetized around the entire, they're plumbing, right? You got to think about the SWIFT system. By the way, do you right? see SWIFT has, um, has struck a deal with the JV in China, so they're now going to allow digital currency uh, in the Wuhan, and this is, this is easy to get... Yeah. It's like Hotel California, right? You can check it so, but can you leave? <laughs> yeah, 100%. I, I saw the same thing. But like the SWIFT system, so like everyone kind of understand what I'm, what I'm explaining is like if I want to send money somewhere, right, and I'm going to probably all of the existing infrastructure 
that works today with banks and everything else, like a regional bank, you know, community bank, you know, X, Y, and Z. They're set up in that SWIFT system. They're not set up in the Bitcoin system. Let's say that Bitcoin was, you know, garnered to replace it, right? That some, yeah, yeah, there actually has to be infrastructure and so forth, things, training, et cetera, to, to replace that. That's not just going to happen, right? It's, it's literally not going to happen. It's like the dollar not being utilized. It's not like you're going to wake up one night and not have the dollar utilized anymore either because it's not practical oh, oh, or sensible. Let's talk about Bitcoin as it relates to dollar because it's still priced in dollars. So let's talk about real quick um, a, a little bit on the, uh, the dollar yuan USD CNH. Um, looks to me, finally, I've been waiting for this to put, kind of put in a bottom, if you will, for several months now. And it looks like it is just ready to turn. So yeah, you've I'm, been I'm, talking about that for yeah, a little bit. So now yeah. it's, it's one of those things where I'm, it's set up, it's set up, and now it has to confirm, it has to basically then turn and confirm. So it's starting to turn, which would be higher dollar. My stock bond volatility ratio is about to tag and when it does, it typically has a very big move. That's something I'm timing in the next you know, week or two. It doesn't mean that it's going to be a February, March, 35% risk off type of thing, but it could be. So I have to see it tag and then confirm. That's just how I work. But we're getting into an area where totally separate from what you're seeing in market structure and the legs of the table just keep getting taken out one by one by one. And now the bond you know, route, which could be very indicative of, you know, too much liquidity in the system and they have to raise some rates, right? This, this overnight, um, the discount um, rate, if you will, Fed's not going to raise rates, we don't think, it's Fed funds are 5%, you know, projection, but they could, you know, approach it a different way. So we'll have to see, but it seems like the bond market is immediately responding to that. And then you add on top of that, the, the, the oil spike that we had, um, uranium spike, Palladium, platinum, you know, copper, it goes on and on. Commodities across the board are lumber. Oh my gosh, it's pressing $1,000. This is scary expensive for home builders. At what point will tech start to soften? Apple, by the way, looks like a fabulous short. The only short I have recommended to clients last week. <laughs> it, it's, it's like so far, it's just, you know, it's got like another $10 to go. It'll be perfect. But the point is, there is not a lot still in the equities market that looks shortable, other than you know, a few select plays. Um, bonds are definitely looking dangerous. That's a concern. Uh, volatility, you know, it might need some more time. We've got you know expiration tomorrow for VIX, and then uh, February uh, expiration. I'm curious if there's going to be some selling in the Arc Fund of Tesla, just because. She made that comment before he announced they bought um, Bitcoin into their, um, on their balance sheet. So, and Tesla right now makes the market. It used to be Apple. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're, we're kind of at a, we're, we're, I think me some, summating my thoughts is just the table, right? You've got a bunch of different stakeholders at that table now, and then you have cross at, and there's a circular table. And there's a lot of people offsetting each other at that table. So there's going to be some binary impacts to this. And what are those? Right. And we've pulled forward years and years of price. Right. And and I would say, like, when you look at like good, good companies and I said this the other night, it's like when you look at good companies that are going, you know, up to 300 percent and, you know, 12 months, stuff like that, um, that have had a decent trajectory for years. 
is that price? And Jared touched on this on, on, on Thursday last week when he's talking about a decade of declining returns, right? Or mediocre returns. Something's got to catch up. And to like take a step back from that table, that's what I would say. It's like, you know, price has been pulled forward and value has not really changed and things have changed dramatically in the entire like uh, environment. And now you could see a period like once this kind of trigger, once, once there is some realization that the interest rate situation is going to modify itself or be modified because it has to be because of these unintended consequences, then you begin to look at the prices of all these things. And um, there could be, you know, completely bifurcating for, for a substantive period of time. I, I think we're approaching that pretty quickly here into the, uh, the, after this expiration Friday into the March expiration and the one after that, this eight week window is pretty interesting with a lot of different things going on. And as always, the market can go wherever it wants to go based on the participants, but um, that table is getting really uncomfortable. And, um, you know, it's like, uh, what do they call it? Like, you know, we're going to break a stick and throw it on the table and see who survives. Like, you know, with people like I, I think the, the stakeholders at that table are not all on the same page and can't be all fed right anymore. So something's going to give. Well, um, right now, the market's a little confused while it rallies on higher yields, inflation expectations, perceived bond to stock rotation as bonds obviously um, fall. But in fact, I think the higher yields are going to fed, are going to force the Fed to raise the discount rate or something that is not right now uh, clear or priced in. Volatility for me is just going to be a, a recurring theme. We're going to talk about that. Um, mm -hmm. I've given the warning because obviously this week um, I'm not, I wasn't expecting it actually until after the Feb, uh, February options expiration. But now I'm saying with this. It could be any time now. Yeah. Table's real tight. It, with bonds and gold, by the way, looks like it's going to crash lower. Yeah. Um, it really is vomit. Not, looks like not vomit. a safe place right now. So gold is not going to serve as a risk off. Um, I think it's going to be dollars. And right now, you know, they're definitely unwinding a little bit of some big tech. We'll see uh, earnings as a broad base. Speaking of the dollar, like the the, tr the trend structure, market structure on the dollar looks to be creating some sort of like kind of what is called a market market maker buy set up, like where you can get like where it's going to come maybe retest the low from a, a little bit ago. And if it doesn't make a low there and it holds that and goes right. So, you know, kind of comes down, holds it goes, then that was the best spot to get in because you just set a stop at the at the previous low. Yeah, I think and, it, I think, it's you know, I think that could definitely happen. Yeah. Definitely it happened. It saved itself, and I think it's done going down right now. But this chart yeah. I'm bringing up because this was um, Chris Cole, and it was printed a few a little while ago. But basically, I guess this is in, I'm inferring here that uh, GameStop and VIX index. There's a lot of parallels, and in the same way that maybe not retail can inflict pain on hedge funds with a short squeeze, but definitely there's something in this structure that uh, does look foreboding. So I'm, I'm definitely looking at the bond route and now the volatility um, potential after this week as picking up. And I also can't help but wonder what the heck is gonna happen with this particular um, chart that just caught my attention today because never has TLT been down on the floor like this. So this to me, if nothing else can trigger a sharp rebound um, and, you know, on a monthly, it looks very different. It still looks like a short, but at least on the short term, it'll be curious to see what happens. 
I, we should probably end and uh, just want to remind folks that um, we're, I'm doing the Women in Trading and Finance webinar on Thursday. And then next Tuesday, Jonathan and I will hang out together and see what's happened after VIX uh, expiration and monthly. I am very much looking forward to getting feedback on the indicators that we have launched on your platform. Couldn't be happier about that whole um, move. Excited. We're in beta testing awesome. right now. And then yep. a little, uh, hopefully in two weeks, once we get all the ETFs rolled out, we can yep. do another kind of onboarding and let people have free access for two weeks before they get rolled out in the Apple store. Totally. Did yeah, we totally. answer all the questions? Okay, good. I, I hope so anyway. Um, uh, Buffett just exited gold. Thank you, Lloyd. No kidding. That's about right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not holding as a, as a store of, you know, of inflation hedge or I'm um, yeah. Anyway, I'm curious that, you, you know, what I would say, the last thing I'll say, and then I'll jump off is that the market structure is so violent here because of the options and that any of these triggers at the table could ignite that setup where it will That's then the point. Yeah. torch itself. It's and I think, it's yeah, it's, it's the entire market structure, the entire infrastructure, the fact that you've got so many more options being traded than the underlying securities and such a massive interest in options at the moment that will be there after all this, but maybe in a little bit different way. This market structure is highly dangerous. So whether it's a week, two weeks, two months, if one of these things triggers, you're not going to have a lot of time. That's what I tell you. It's going to shift on you pretty quickly. And the, and the tough part is, is when it starts, it's probably going to be a lot. I'm not saying that yes. this is it. I still think we can go higher in the S. Totally agree. Totally like agree. The yep. process for the for the volatile regime is about to start. And when my when my ratio triggers. Yep. It goes for months. It's not something that just is one and done. That was a technical setup back on the 20th. Which is the shape that is setting up now with the dollar, which is the shape it's setting. These are longer term setups that are starting to form. They're not triggered totally, but they're forming. Got so it. 